Good morning, everyone. Welcome. We're glad that you're here today and welcome you in the name of the Lord as we gather together and worship our God together. We welcome our, our guests, especially. You're very important to us. We're glad that you're here with us and hope that you'll feel very much a part of our family as we worship God together. Let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets that are on each row in a little purple folder there. We'd like to ask if you would uh, to take that and to fill it out so we could have a record of your attendance with us this morning. Uh, just put your name and address, phone number on there, and check the appropriate box. And if you would like to receive our email newsletter, uh, which is a great way to keep up with the activities here at Community Baptist Church, please put your email address on there and we will uh, be glad to get you on the list to receive that each week. We have uh, several things that are taking place I'd like to call to your attention this morning. Uh, first of all, on Wednesday night, uh, your Dawnings team will be bringing uh, their report and some recommendations for uh, some initiatives that uh, we would like to recommend to the church that we consider doing in the next year or so. Um, our Dawnings team has been working very hard and praying very hard for about four or five months now and really trying to discern what God's will is for our church to, uh, to do some, some certain things. And there are three initiatives that we would like to, um, uh, to present to the church on Wednesday night. And I'll just give you a little teaser on that. You'll have to come Wednesday to get the details. But we're going to be talking about helping the homeless. And we're going to be talking about collaborating with commodities and we're going to be talking about, and this one's hard to say, eclectic electives, which have something to do with small groups. I'll just give you a little of that. So come Wednesday night uh, and find out about uh, some of the things that we would like to, uh, uh, to recommend that our church pursues over the next several months there. And if you have any questions, that will be the time to bring that up and, and to talk about this. So we'll have dinner at 545, and this report will begin during our Bible study time, during our prayer uh, time at 630. So come and see what's going on. Uh, also, on November the 29th, uh, we will be serving lunch at the Salvation Army. And could use some volunteers from that if you would like to volunteer to help with the Salvation Army. Uh, please see uh, Christine Cornelius, and, and she will uh, um, get you signed up for that. On um, November the 30th, uh, which is a Sunday, Jada Duffy will be here. You may remember that Jada did a, um, a mission trip to Uganda. Uh, when was that? About July? Back in July. And we helped to support her in her trip to Uganda. And so she will be bringing a report uh, on the 30th, November the 30th, during our Sunday school hour, during our Bible study hour. And so the, all the adult Sunday school classes and the youth, too, if they would like to come, will meet here in, um, in the sanctuary er area. And Jada will be telling us about some of the things that she did in Uganda. That should be a very interesting time. And, of course, something that's very important that uh, we need to look forward to, on December the 7th, uh, Community Baptist Church turns 20 years old. And so that's going to be a, a big day for us, and we're going to celebrate in a big way. We're going to have a potluck lunch, 
and uh, and we invite you to come and help us celebrate. We're going to be uh, we're going to be talking uh, uh, about the past. We're going to be talking about the future. We're going to be having a concert here. Uh, the Walkers will be here to. Uh, uh, to pre- present a concert. They'll sing in the worship service and also have a concert that afternoon. And so we invite you to come and be here for that. We've got a lot going on, don't we? But it's, uh, it's good to be a part of Community Baptist Church, and we're glad that you're a part of us as well. Let us stand now and let's greet each other in the name of the Lord.
let me say that since I'm the first of a series of four on the years of our church, that in putting these things together, we're doing our best to research and get all the facts and all the names. But if something is omitted or whatever, we apologize early on and uh, hope this just creates some good memories for you all. I want to thank the anniversary team for asking me to speak today because it gives me another opportunity to tell you just how much this church means to me. Our first five years give you something to think about. What do a basement room, a men's department store, and a million-dollar structure have in common? (laughs) For as long as I can recall, I have always gone to church. In the Gardner household, it was never, do you want to go to church? But more, the car will be leaving in time for Sunday school. It was during those years that Reverend Allen and other wonderful mentors helped me to develop my personal relationship with Jesus Christ and enabled me to grow in my spiritual life. Then about 21 years ago, I became very disillusioned with the church. In fact, I had no church, and I felt a deep sense of loss. Like a miracle, a core group of about 70 left Emmanuel Baptist and in June of 1994 met in the basement room of the Green Valley Center, which was the beginning of Cooperative Baptist, I mean Community Baptist. If you attended those weeks at Green Valley, would you stand? Okay. There's a start. All right. Now, different, have, yeah, different ones stepped up to help with the worship services. We had wonderful guest speakers. Jim Westmoreland was so faithful. Deacon spoke during that time. Uh, Jacob made pretty music as usual. Pat Denton and her friends uh, kept the nursery. Now, you ready? Outside. And no, it did not rain on Sunday for three months. Amazing. Yes, we had Bernice Benham's brownies for the first of many times out there. Doris Hall became a permanent usher about that time. Chris Hopgood was our in-house legal service and then moderator permanently. We were blessed, though, about that time when Dr. David Nelson and his wife, Joe came to us from Owensboro and became our interim pastor. Now Mom, Dad, and I were able to attend again as a family which seemed to bring us full circle to our humble beginnings. It was such an exciting time. Our next move as a group was literally downtown to an empty Max department store on Main Street, and in December 1994, we became a chartered church. Community Baptist Church was official. Now, charter members, those beginning, that beginning service, again, stand, please. Getting? Right. There you go. While you're standing, I want to read those that we have died since. Will you wait with me? Okay. John and Bernice Benham, Vince Davis, Charlie and Vivian Denton, Margaret Edwards, Bob Gardner, Dovey Hall, Cindy Hall, Jack and Jane Hammond, Barbara Hilliard, Mildred Keach, Johnny Matthews, Owen Parker, Albert Tapp, and Sammy Weaves. Yes. Okay. Have a seat. Yes. We created space for a kitchen, Sunday school rooms, sanctuary, and yes, a nursery. We had wonderful fellowship and, of course, great food. Those are the first of many ice cream socials. And 
I can right now see my mom and Vivian Denton and Owen Parker competing as to who could eat the most ice cream at any given social, and that continued for years. Doris Hall walked with little kids from uh, Timmy and Jesse and several of them every Sunday night down to the river or the park and helped keep the kids. I mean, this was the kind that everybody got together and helped. But in 1995, things really started hopping. Dr. John Dunaway and his wife, Jane, came to us from Corbin, Kentucky, to lead us as our pastor. Now, he was semi-retired, but we all know that that was uh, not the case. Uh, and also, he was able to bring Grover Waller from Owensboro as our music ministry uh, director and what beautiful music and choirs we had then. Now, Dr. D had a vision to build a church, and soon it became our vision too. But how in the world are we going to build a church when we had no money? Well, we always say that with God's help and guidance and Keith Utley at Farmer's Bank, we borrowed over a million dollars and bought property here on Pebble Creek Drive. What a major step for us at that time of faith. Now, on a personal note, my dad's fervent wish was to see us in a new building. However, he died in 95, so it meant even more to me that we make his wish come true. So a building committee was formed. Again, we've got a few of those here too, but John Dunaway was the honest pastor. Mike Taylor was chairman. Vince Davis was vice chairman. John Baker, Bob Crafton, Jika Crafton, Mildred Gardner, Tim Hall, Chris Hopgood, Daryl Powell, Lisa Fryer, David Garner, Mark Hobson, Frank Knight Sr., and Carol Bridges Qualls. After designs and meetings and votes and all, the, like this Life Center was finally built right here. Now, the last Sunday in December of 96, Sheriff Ed Brady, who was a member at the time, provided an escort as the caravan, caravan left downtown and drove to Pebble Creek, stopping traffic along the way and letting Henderson know that we were in business and opening our doors to all of us as well as the whole community. I can remember how exciting that day was as we met in this room. No floors. Floors weren't finished, if you remember. Now, if you were there that Sunday, will you stand? And I think you should see yourself in a picture up on the screen. Will you stand if you were here at that first service? Wow. Pretty exciting, wasn't it? Oh, my. Okay. Thank you. Now, again, Dr. Dunaway would always, as I always said, hit the ground running, and programs were set up, and we, we were well in business, and particularly starting our kindergarten daycare through that time. This was a perfect setting for it, uh, and we became one of the best in the community, and it was our mission as a church to have the daycare and the kindergarten. We accomplished so much in a few years. In those five years, this church, these great people, Dr. Nelson, Dr. Dunaway, helped me to heal by replacing bitterness with love and understanding, apathy with a genuine enthusiasm, and a lack of vision with hope and promise for the future. I will be forever grateful, and now we will look forward to the next five years.
children, come on down and meet Mr. Oh, sorry. I lost my place, sorry. That's why I got Nora here. Keep me straight. No, no, no. I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 21, 33 through 46. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, but a Put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to the tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyards to another tenant who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you ever read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it fails or falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. This is the word of the Lord. Now, children. Right? Now, children. How is everybody? Good? All right, um, I show of hands. Anybody here 20 years old? No? <laughs> well, um, how, what do you think about being 20? Do you think you'll accomplish a lot by the time you're 20? You know, we are beginning to celebrate our anniversary of our church, the church that y'all attend. What, uh, what do you think is the difference between an anniversary or a birthday? Anything? Is your birthday your birthday? It is. Just, and when you have a party, do you celebrate just your birthday? You do, don't you? Well, we're having an anniversary, and the difference in that and a birthday is that it includes so many people. Our anniversary is the celebration of everyone that is here because... This is our church, so I have balloons for our anniversary. Now, each week, beginning today, as you heard Miss Pam Gardner get tell us a history of the first five years. So there's a five year. Then we're going to, for the next three years, do the next five years, the next five years, and up to including the last five years. I bet you could tell me some stories about this five years, couldn't you? But what we want to do, which is our vision, was to not only remember those who helped us to get to this point, but to be grateful for them because in their vision was to have a place for each of you to worship. 
a place for our children to come to and understand and know that God loves you. One of the greatest ministries we have is our Upward program. And this Thursday night, I told them a story. They're so sweet. They are so much fun. And the little boy asked me, he goes, how did you know that story by heart? And I told him, because I go to church. So it is a vision of people that started 20 years ago before you were even born to have a place of worship so that we could learn to love and to know what love is. So... As you think about it in time to come, we're going to have a memory board. I want you to think of a memory of your church, and that memory that you have, we'll write it down and we'll keep it so we can have it for history for when we celebrate our 25, 50, 75, till whenever. Okay? All right. You are the reason we're here. Amen. Most gracious and kind Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time of worship, Father. We thank you for this building and the people in it, Father. We thank your Brother Tim as he's going to bring the message to us in a little bit, Father. Bless him also, Father. Father, bless these tithes and offerings in your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.
like to take this time to thank Miss Becky Hudson. She's our guest accompanist today. Thank you, Becky.
Wasn't that beautiful? Thank you so much for for that ministry and song. There was once a man who owned a, a piece of property that he thought would make a nice vineyard. So he planted a vineyard, enclosed it with a wall, and he wanted this to be a, a full-service operation, so he dug a wine press where the grapes could be pressed and the, the juice extracted. He built a watchtower to protect it all because this was a lawless land and you never knew what was going to happen. And then after making a sizable investment in this vineyard, he rented it out to some tenants and moved to another part of the country, feeling pretty good about his investment. Well, when harvest time came, this man sent some associates to the vineyard to collect his share of the produce. Now, it's always difficult to be an absentee landlord, and any of you who have rental property know this, but you have never experienced a situation like this. You see, when the man's associates came to collect his share of the produce, the tenants grabbed them up, beat them, stoned them, and even killed one of them. Well, you would think that the owner would call the authorities, but instead the man who owned the vineyard, sent a second group of associates, a larger group this time. But again, the tenants were not intimidated. They treated these new associates just like they treated the first group, robbing them and beating them and killing some of them. And I don't know about you, but I think I would be ready to cut my losses. But not this owner. Evidently, this vineyard was very important to him, and so he turned to more desperate measures He sent his son to carry out the mission. Surely they will respect my son, he thought. But you can guess what came from that. The tenants decided to rob the son and kill him too. This was obviously the ultimate act of defiance. Surely the owner of the vineyard would punish such outrageous behavior. Surely he would crush them, send his minions to to destroy them. But by now you have probably figured out that this is not how the story ends. It's the way most of us would think that this story should end, isn't it? It's the way most of us think it should end. We think of this story a story like this in terms of action movies like Die Hard or or Taken. We think that the owner should have sent an army in to thoroughly destroy these criminals. But this is a parable of Jesus. And so after he told it, he asked his listeners, what do you think the owners of the vineyard should do to these tenants? Well, the listeners were all caught up in this story, and like most of us, they were ready to take up arms. He will bring those wretches to a terrible end, they replied, and then he will rent the vineyard out to others who will give him his share of the produce at the time of harvest. And that's when Jesus dropped the bomb. Have you never read in the Scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, at first, there was confusion among Jesus' listeners. What is he talking about, they asked. And then there was probably this stony 
silence as things began to sink in. And I didn't mention before, but Jesus was telling this parable to the chief priests and the Pharisees. You see, they had come to Jesus asking him what authority he had to do his work. In other words, what are your credentials? Who licensed you to preach and teach and heal? And by the time he answered that question by telling this parable, the chief priests and the Pharisees uh, finally realized that this story was not about an owner of a vineyard. After all, it was about them. They were the tenants killing the son. And he was the son sent by the owner of the vineyard. He was the stone that was rejected that would one day become the cornerstone of our faith. And then Matthew ends this passage by saying this. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they knew he was talking about them. So they looked for a way to arrest him, but were afraid of the crowd because the people thought that he was a prophet. This was a chilling story for the chief priests and the Pharisees. And there are some very, very important elements to this story that we need to look at today. First of all, we need to see that in telling this parable, Jesus obviously knew the fate that was about to befall him. Now put yourself in his place for a moment. Here he was. He's in his early 30s, and that's awfully young to die, isn't it? Jesus' life held so much promise. To many people, he was like a rock star. Crowds numbering in the thousands were following him wherever he went. He had disciples who were fixed on every word that he spoke. And some of those who followed him were, had already vowed that they would be willing to die for him if it came to that. If he lived in a democracy, he probably could have been elected president. And as far as we know, he was happy and healthy and at the top of his game. But suddenly, his time was running out. It's not easy to realize that your life is nearly over, shortened by something that you have no control over. But is that really the case here? I mean, in a way, Jesus did have control over this, didn't he? He... he, All he had to do, really, to stop all of this is to step aside from the work that God had called him to do. Step aside and melt into the crowds. He could have done that. Let somebody else save the world. He could have, you know. Those were real drops of sweat, like drops of blood that that came from his brow in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was struggling with this issue. He had a decision to make, and it was hard. Would he be faithful to God's call? Or would he choose to save his own life? And who could blame him if he chose to back off? Go back to Joseph's carpenter's shop. Or get the proper credentials and enjoy the good life as a popular preacher. Those advocates of the prosperity gospel, they do pretty good for themselves. You see, those temptations that Satan had 
shown Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, those were real temptations. He could have the world at his feet if he wanted it. So can you put yourself in his skin for just a moment? 33 years of age and a choice to make. Seek after the pleasures and power of the world or make his life a sacrifice for others. And you know something? There are young men and women around the world today who have faced that same kind of decision in their own lives. Decisions about choosing a life of pleasure or a life of sacrifice. And they have chosen a life of sacrifice. Some of them have had their times on battlefields. And we honored them this week during our Veterans Day celebrations. Some of them are on missions field, mission fields. Some of them are teaching small children in inner city schools. Some of them are working in hospitals, not because it's a place of their dreams, but because they want to help people who are hurting. And many of these people are doing what they are doing today because their, life have been, their lives have been touched by the example of Jesus Christ. I read something about Mother Teresa recently that, that I didn't know. Shane Claiborne, who worked with Mother Teresa, said that people often ask me what Mother Teresa was, was like. Sometimes it's like they wonder if she glowed in the dark or had a halo or something. He says she was very short, wrinkled, and precious, maybe even a little ornery, like a beautiful, wise old granny. But there's one thing that I will never forget, and that's her feet. He says her feet were deformed. Each morning in Mass, I would stare at them, and I wondered if she had contracted leprosy, but I wasn't going to ask, hey, Mother, what's wrong with your feet? And then one day a sister said to us, have you noticed her feet? And we nodded, and she said, her feet are deformed because we get just enough shoes donated for everyone to have a pair, and Mother doesn't want anyone to get stuck with the worst pair, and so she digs through the pile before anyone gets to it and finds the worst pair of shoes for herself. And years of doing that have deformed her feet. Now think of that. Years of loving her neighbor as herself has deformed her feet. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? She cared so much for others that she always chose the worst pair of shoes for herself. So think about that the next time you shell out the book, the big books or the big bucks for a new pair of heels or a new pair of basketball shoes. As Jesus confronted the chief priests and the Pharisees, he knew the fate that awaited him. And he knew that this was a cruel time in human history. Troublemakers were disposed of with little ceremony. Within just a matter of days, he would be flogged with a whip and crucified naked on a cross. Not because he had done anything wrong, but because his own people had rejected him and the and the kingdom that he taught. The people who profited from the status quo rejected him. Even the religious people. And my friends, they always will. 
You see, those people who live only for themselves can never comprehend the way of the cross. They're kind of like Nicodemus. Jesus told Nicodemus, who was a member of the Sanhedrin, that for him to enter the kingdom of God, he would have to be born all over again. And that's true of a lot of us as well. Because, folks, the values of God's kingdom are so vastly different from the things that we naturally value that we need to be born all over again to even try to understand the way of the cross. We need to become an entirely new person. Thirty-three years old, and he could see how his life would end. The world wasn't ready for him and his gospel of peace and justice. And unfortunately, in many ways, it still isn't ready. And so he was the stone that was rejected. He is the son who was murdered. But you know, it just makes us wonder why. Why did he do this? What drove him to lay down his life? And I believe that I have the answer to that question. And it is very simple. It is love. It is love. That's the only reason that Jesus allowed his life to be taken on that cross. Now theologians have put forth a lot of theories about why it was necessary for Jesus to die. Some say that Jesus did it to take the punishment that we deserve. And others say that... Because of our sin, we are bound to Satan, and Jesus did it to to pay a ransom to Satan to set us free. And others say that Jesus died to undo what the original Adam had done in the fall of humanity. Because of what Adam and Eve did, it was necessary for a new Adam to suffer and die. But regardless of the theory of atonement that you ascribe to, it all comes down to one very simple motive. And that is love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So let's think about that transforming power of love for just a moment. There was a story in the newspaper a while back about a young man in Japan who gave his life trying to save an older man who had been drinking and had fallen onto the tracks in a subway station. But here's what's so remarkable about this story. You see, the drunk man was Japanese, and the young man who gave his life trying to save him was Korean. Now, if you know anything about that part of the world, there's still a lot of enmity between Korea and Japan over some of the atrocities that took place during World War II. In fact, this young Korean's grandfather had been a forced laborer in one of Japan's coal mines during World War II. But this young Korean had come to Japan as a student with the stated purpose of improving relations between South Korea and Japan. He did not know that he would die doing it. He didn't plan on that, of course. And never in his wildest dreams could he have imagined the impact that he would have on Japanese society by this one courageous act. But the entire Japanese nation was enthralled by what he had done in that subway station. 
Most of the Japanese people could not believe that a Korean would give his life for one of their fellow uh, countrymen, for Japanese. Six years before, in the Kobe earthquake, many Japanese were inclined to help only the people that they knew because that was the Japanese way. But this Korean showed them that it was actually possible to love not only the people that you know, but even across national lines. A few days after this incident, a host of Japanese dignitaries, including the prime minister, lined up in Tokyo to pay respects to this 26-year-old student who gave his life trying to save a drunk man who had fallen on the tracks. And you know what? I thank God that there are people who are capable of that kind of selfless love. The newspaper story did not tell us whether this young Korean was a Christian or not. I wouldn't be surprised if he were. South Korea has been influenced by the Christian faith probably more than any other nation on earth in the past hundred years or so. But even if he was not a baptized believer... He was a follower of Jesus because he gave his life as a sacrifice for someone else. And that's the Jesus way. And my friends, there are people all over this world who have been touched by Jesus' example. Some of them are young people and some are older. Some of them live in lands that are far from here. And some live right here in our neighborhood. People caring for people. Some are never in a situation where an act of heroism is called for, but they show their love in other ways, like making a visit to a hospital or through their work in a community organization that helps the least and the lost. But as Jesus told this parable about the vineyard and the wicked tenants to the chief priests and the Pharisees, he knew his fate. He knew what lay before him. So why would he lay down his life? Purely and simply, it was because of his great love for you and me. But what was his goal? What did he hope to achieve? His goal was that his life would be the cornerstone of a whole new way of living. After all these years... Why have we not understood that this world was created for love? After all these years since Jesus walked this earth, why have we not understood that this world was created for compassion, for sharing, for jumping off a subway platform to save a stranger? What would it take for us to understand That this is the kind of world that God wants from us. A world where those who live in abundance will share with those who have so little. What would God need to do to get that truth through to us? Send His innocent Son? Have Him die a terrible death? Would that do it? Around a table one night, Jesus passed a loaf of bread. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. And then he passed a cup saying, this is my blood 
that is shed for you. Was it all in vain? Well, it was if we who call ourselves Christians only live for ourselves. But folks, it's not too late. This is a day for all of us to take stock of our lives in the same way that Jesus asked these chief priests and and Pharisees to take stock of their lives. The stone which was rejected has become the cornerstone of our faith. But the question is, has He really become the cornerstone of your life? Amen. We have come to that portion of our service where we will celebrate the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. We'd like to invite our deacons to come forward and to uh, prepare the table for the Lord's Supper. And as they do that, let me explain just a little bit about uh, what we're going to be doing here. Um, Let me first of all say this. Everyone is welcome at God's table. And I realize that Uh, Different churches have different philosophies and theologies about doing the Lord's Supper and some people uh, limit it to only people in their denomination and some people limit it only to people in their particular congregation. But you know something? I have searched the the Scriptures and nowhere have I ever seen Jesus rejecting anyone. And so everyone is welcome at God's table, every single one of you. We will begin in the back and ask you to come forward through the middle aisle. And there will be two stations set up on each side. And if you would come and come to the person who has the bread first and pick up a piece of bread and then step to the side and dip that piece of bread into the cup and then eat the bread that is soaked with the, with the fruit of the vine and then return to your seats along, to, along the side. If there's someone who is not able to come to the front or would prefer a traditional um, uh, Lord's Supper, then just keep seated where you are and we will have deacons that will come to you in your seat and um, deliver communion to you in that way. Paul tells us to examine ourselves before taking communion. Jesus tried to get the chief priests and the Pharisees to uh, take stock of their lives in the telling of this parable that we've been talking about today. And in the same way, we too should take stock of our lives and recognize what Christ has done and and why Christ has done it. So I'm going to ask us all for just a moment to have a time of silence. Consider what and why why Christ did what he did for us. Let's bow.
Please join me in our responsive reading printed on the separate sheet as we prepare ourselves to receive communion. Let us gather around the table with the offering of bread and drink. This is the welcome table of God for all who seek to be at peace with their neighbor and who seek the mercy of God. Come, for we are all invited to this holy mystery. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. All who come to me shall not hunger and all who believe in me shall not be thirsty. We remember that on the night of his betrayal, Jesus offered the bread in thanksgiving and said, And in the same way, Jesus offered the cup in thanksgiving and said, Come, Holy Spirit, open our eyes to the mystery of the presence of Christ in these ordinary things. May they be for us the essence of the living Christ. Through the broken bread, through the cup of blessing, These are the gifts of God for God's people. Come, for all things are ready. Would you come?
Aren't you glad that God loves us that much? The body, the blood of Christ. And why did He do it? Because He loves you. Let us celebrate that love by singing together our closing hymn, Open My Eyes That I May See. Let us sing together.